Bridgestone Tires just rolled into Midas. And if you roll in, we've got an exclusive deal for you. Get $70 back in Bridgestone rebates, plus a $50 reward card with paid installation. Shop Bridgestone Tires at Midas.com. Anytime, so he finally shows up. Oh well, <laughs> that's the way we're going to wow, start. Coming out hot. <laughs> coming out real hot. Well, that's the way we're going to start. I'm sorry, Jesse. Jesse Parent is our guest, and uh, uh, Jesse was supposed to be here last week, but had some lame ass excuse <laughs> about oh my clock was set on Pacific time. Why now? Let me ask you this, Mr. Parent. And oh, by the way, uh, this is the uh, Let's Go Eat show, and we're at the Daily 222 South Main. Um, and you're and you're not eating, right? I, I I'm not. I just sat down from getting back uh, from the restroom and washing my hands from uh, the coronavirus and stuff. Good. And making sure that I am a responsible and hygienic guest. Good. Now, is, is would you like a drink? I'm sorry to interrupt. I would I would love a uh, lemonade of some sort. I will be right back. Now, is his microphone loud enough, Dick? Because it doesn't sound loud enough to me. Let's hear. Let's I do mean, that while the... His volume seems rather low to me. Hit me one more time, uh, Jesse. Okay, I'm just going to talk for a second. I, my favorite things to do are count to ten. Like that one, two, that three. seems better. Yeah. Yeah, that seems better. Perfect. I was just watching the meter, too, and he seemed a little lower than the rest of us. He did. Well, and, and you know me, I'll overpower everything. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, Mr. Parent said he was uh, he was supposed to be here last week, but then he gave a lame-ass excuse of his. He'd been working on the West Coast, and he had changed his phone but to Pacific time. Yeah, but Actually, my phone did that for me because they wanted to take care of me and said, hey, you're in the Pacific. You should use this clock. And I said, oh, boy, I get to meet with my friend Bill, who I love. And I set it to uh, the noontime, and then when I got back, didn't check, and it well, it's went supposed to one. it's supposed to automatically switch back, isn't it? Yeah, it did switch back, and it switched back to one o'clock. And so when I looked at my reminder, I said, oh, oh, but, oh. "I see. I get okay. You're forgiven. I appreciate that. You Thank you, Reverend Bill. Sure, no problem. Now, uh, the reason Jesse Parent is on the show uh, is uh, I've I know Jesse socially, but um, Jesse is also a I would say well known in circles, uh, poet. And is it proper to refer to you as a slam poet? Yeah, that would, or a performance poet. A performance I, I, poet. Yeah, I always like to say in very, very small circles, I'm very famous. Uh, yeah. That's the thing with poetry. It's you can be really famous and nobody knows yeah, you. Yeah. And uh, performance poetry, and I, you know, I knew this about you before I ever actually heard you do any performance poetry. And then when I heard you do it, uh, I, oh, I can see why he's well known. Um, you do that exceptionally well. So, thank you. Why? What, first of all, explain to people what performance or slam poetry is, and why did they, why did they call it slam poetry? Uh, slam poetry is just a way to dress up or uh, make Americanized the act of competing in poetry. It's like a big forensics debate, except there's a lot of pageantry to it. We try to go out and get judges who have no idea what poetry is, and that's a bit of giving back to the people, taking it out of academia and saying, look, this has to be accessible and appealing to you, and it can't be boring. And so there's a time limit. If you go over that time limit, you're penalized because you only have so much of an attention span to 
meet up with that. And if you suck, well, then you don't get to advance. And, be, and whether or not you suck is based on the opinion of the audience and the judges that we picked at random. The idea behind slam poetry is to try to make it so that poetry actually sounds good, that it performs well, and sometimes there's a visual element to it, uh, but mostly there is a vocal element. What do, um, uh, uh, let's say, legitimate poets mm. think of slam poetry? Uh, you know, it, it kind of varies. I, I found that some, some of the typical oh there's a stereotypical uh, break between your page poet and your performance poet but I don't think that's actually true anymore I think a lot of the poets in academia are recognizing the appeal and accessibility also the craft that comes in being able to do it for uh, do performance poetry and poetry is meant to be a sonic medium anyway yeah, that's true uh, you know I uh, I'll give you this example I live uh, well I, I live next door to a poet published poet and she has, she's very well known, except, I mean, you know, not really. Yep. Uh, but she's published. She has several books of poetry that have been published. Uh, she goes on national tours occasionally uh, and, and reads her poems around the country to various small gatherings, yeah, I very, would imagine. Very small circle. She's uh, very famous. Yeah, and, she's and, and she writes beautifully. She, has, she writes beautiful poems. Uh, uh, she wrote one. Actually, she wrote one for my wife, your, who is a good friend of yours, yep. Jenny. Uh, she wrote a poem for, for my wife. because We've lived next door to her for years and years. And anyway, they're, they're close friends. So uh, the point being, so she's just a really uh, known in poetry circles, and she's published. And, and one time I said to her, um, hey, I heard this Billy Collins guy uh, <laughs> on, on the uh, on the radio, Billy Collins, and he, I think he was the poet emeritus of America at yeah, one poet point. Poet laureate, yeah. Yeah, poet laureate, I mean. And, um, and he reads his poems, and I, thought, and I said, they're, they're quite charming and clever, and uh, what do you think of him as a poet? And she said, well, he's okay, not much, really. Yep. Not much. Yeah, that, I mean, that's interesting because Billy Collins is a huge influence for me. Uh, he has a great quote about poetry that I use a lot. It is that poetry should be an eye chart, that everyone should get the E, but if you squint, you ought to be able to read a few more letters. And, and I really think that that's, that appeals to your accessibility, but it mm -hmm. also appeals to your layering. You can't just make something that is shallow. You have to be able to say, if on inspection, I can get more out of it and more out of it as I start to delve into yeah. this. And you know, a lot of people don't like Billy Collins for that. They don't like his accessibility. They don't like his general appeal. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Billy Collins was the poet laureate of the United States, so take that. And he's, and he's made a ton of dough. Uh, doing, uh, being Billy Collins, yeah. which is pretty rare for a poet to make any money. I mean, I dare say Billy Collins made more money than my neighbor. Uh. <laughs> I think you were probably going to have a good bet on that one. Uh, yeah, and Billy Collins is also a big hero of one of my heroes, Taylor Molly, who is one of the penultimate, uh, or ultimate, uh, I should say, uh, slam poets out there, especially during the 90s. He was a huge influence on a lot of young poets, especially because of the documentary Slam Nation. And he showed how you could be very accessible, very clever, and and sometimes he's deep, and sometimes he's not. Mm -hmm. um, and I find and I, the, the stuff I've heard that Billy Collins do, it's 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 very it is very accessible. It's really simple, most of it. It's mm -hmm. there's not a lot below the surface. It's all right there. Yeah, and I, th I think if you probably pulled it apart, you might find something. But it, again, I think any art is up to the observer. And it becomes, if you try to hold on to it too much as the author and say, no, no, that's not what I meant, it's, it, that's fine. 
But once you release it into the world, it is the world, and you have to allow people to take their own inspiration and their own inspection into it. I suppose uh, slam poetry, uh, actually, or performance poetry, it probably comes even going further back to the beat poets oh, yeah. uh, in the 50s and 60s, and I was uh, reminded, because, you know, and there's that stereotypical, there's bongos and people are snapping their fingers, you know, but I was reminded of that uh, just recently. My, my daughter uh, has to write a poem for uh, school, and she, I don't want to do this. Now, she's this bright kid, and she likes to read, and she writes herself, but she doesn't write poetry. I don't want to do this. I don't know how to write poetry. I don't know anything about poetry. I don't know what it is. I don't want to. I love poetry. And I, start, I said, well, let's see if we can make this accessible for you. And I remembered I had some uh, uh, collections of uh, per particularly Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Oh, yeah. R old, uh, I think he's still alive, but an old beat poet started the City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco. And um, I remembered some of his poems, and I got them out, and I, and I started reading them to her. Uh, and one I can even quote. Uh, it's, um, it's called Johnny Nolan, I think. Johnny Nolan has a patch on his ass. Kids chase him through all the screen door summers of my memory. Somewhere a baby cries like a ball bounced down steps. Johnny Nolan has a patch on his ass. Kids chase him. That's not exactly how it goes. Oh, but, but, you know, it's, and so, yeah. And so she, she went, oh. And then I read her another one. Yeah. The dog trots freely through the streets, and they're very vocal and stuff. And I said, now, just sit down and start writing words. And mm. they, she had a topic, uh, which was way too broad, modern culture. Uh, write, yeah. write a poem about modern culture. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to do that. It's, too, there's, I, it's not specific. And I said, well, that frees you up, though, doesn't it? You can do anything. But uh, anyway, uh, just so I have a, a fondness for poetry, and I think it should be read out loud most of it, most of the time. Yeah, there's, there, like I said, there's a lot of sonic value to it. There's rhythm. There's the, the assonance, the consonance that goes into it. And it can be a lot of fun mm -hmm. to read poetry. I mean, it, there's, there's stuff that can really wear on you. Like, you know, Ferlinghetti had uh, Ginsburg as a compatriot and, you know, going into Howl, which is a, mm -hmm. a marathon-length uh, performance poem that's, mm -hmm. that can be pretty trying, but yep. you can still get a lot out of it. I, I, I really like Howell, uh, although, and, I, and I, Ginsburg is a favorite of mine as well, although he can be kind of overbearingly pretentious at times, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I, Howell I quite like, uh, but it is, it's too much for a lot of people. This uh, uh, woman I know said, well, I hear this big about, about Howell all the time. It's such a big deal, and I've never read it, and I, said, I gave her a copy of it, and this was just recently. I said, here, take this home and read it. And she came back and said, I didn't care for that. <laughs> and I said, why? You know, you're a literate person. And she said, I think I'm just too old. And I oh, said, what? Wow. And she said, it's just too, it was just too, too crude for me. Interesting. And there is a lot of, you know, pretty stark. And she said, I read it. I read the whole thing. But have you guys been to the Beatnip Museum in San Francisco by chance? Have I haven't. I've been to City Lights Bookstore. I but. mean, it's really cool like they they have the entire how poem like on the walls like as you walk through oh, you're wow. reading mm. how i mean all the kerouac on the road stuff i mean like it's really cool um if you're ever in san francisco i i suggest it the That's beatniks uh, sort of uh, so anyway the birth of slam poetry perhaps yeah well indeed in fact you know it even goes back farther if you think about it to the the greeks i mean all performance mm -hmm. uh, ultimately gets into this we, we try to make it 
like this is some kind of ama- amazing American white person invention, but it's been around for millennia, mm-hmm. and it's important to recognize those roots. I think there, there was actually a pretty big revolution pretty recently in the slam movement uh, against the founder, quote-unquote, of Poetry Slam in the 80s, this guy Mark Smith, and the idea that he created Slam when really it was there to sort of consolidate package. And so there was a real refusal to say, hey, look, this guy invented it, and more, more to say this guy figured out a way to make it accessible and maybe exploited it. Uh, mm-hmm. But he still brought a lot of joy to, to a lot of people and a lot of challenge to a lot of people. What was the documentary that you mentioned that people might want to look it up if they're interested in this at all? Sure, it's Slam Nation. It was about the 1996 National Poetry Slam in Portland, Oregon. And that's where you'll see Saul Williams, who is a artist underneath uh, Trent Reznor's label nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll also see Taylor Molly, who's a personal uh, a, f- a friend and mentor of mine and uh, a lot of other folks that are on there that are just unbelievably cool and it really stands up. Now, how did Jesse Parent, you, yep. uh, get into this? What I know of your background, you come from a, a, a family of, of tattooed bar fighters <laughs> uh, you know, somewhere in the East, right? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, that's, that's a pretty good synopsis. <laughs> Uh, where where I came from, I was the white sheep of the family. My uncle would also all, often say, "I'm going to the nice prison," and uh, <laughs> you'll be going to the nice prison. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, I was taught to tattoo by my biological father, uh, my my adopted father, who I know as my dad. He mm-hmm. is a mechanic. My mom was a nurse, and then an AIDS counselor, and then a tattoo artist. My brother was a piercer and a tattoo artist, and I put myself through college doing it. And then I moved out to Utah and thought there was probably nothing but desert and Mormons out here and found out there is a ton more. There's a lot of culture out here. Got into improv comedy, which I had started in college and started to do improv theater in sort of experimental ways and tried to figure out how could I do musical improv in a way that didn't involve musicians because that was a lot of effort. <laughs> and I watched this HBO show called Deaf Poetry, hosted by Most Deaf, <laughs> and I saw this group called Flowetry where two women were perfectly intertwining music and poetry together, and it just looked so beautiful. And I tried to figure out how could I mathematically copy that so that I could replicate that in an improvisational way. And we formed this group called The Hook. And the hook started to get good in Salt Lake, and we started to tour and go to Chicago and Seattle and New York. And I was made an artistic associate of the Chicago Improv Festival because of you know this was something that they'd never seen before. And I said, well, what can I do next? So I started to write down, which was very scary to me because I'm not a writer, uh, write down some of the things I could remember from improvised poems and start to compete at local poetry slams made the national team for Salt Lake City in 2006, traveled to Austin, and then my whole world opened up. I saw, this is what it could be. This is not just my idea, but like look at what everybody's doing to push the art, to innovate, and it just became very inspirational because it was so theatrical, Bill. I mean, like I come from a theater background, and it was so beautiful to see people using theater in that way. And now you do have your more narr- like your, your poets that are more literate, uh, but I really enjoyed the, the, the spectacle of theater of it, and that's what really kind of keyed me into it. Now, you, are you, are you, I haven't talked to you about this for a while. Are you still involved that, as heavily as you were in doing this? You know, I've taken a step back since the collapse of the national poetry scene back in 2018, and now it's starting to rebuild. I, we're, tr- we're trying to keep it going uh, locally, where we ha- still have our monthly, the last Monday of the month, poetry 
Slams at the Wasatch Theater Company right now. We, we've sort of consolidated and simplified. And we'll have our finals that will actually pick a new national team that will go to Dallas, Texas uh, this summer. And we're going to have that at Athena Coffee House on April 13th. Where's that, Athena Coffee House? You know, it's right on 90th South. Uh, right next to the liquor store and the Ocean Mart and Club 90. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that area. So so they, they took over that area. The guy who owns it, he is a big member of the ACLU in Utah mm. and had us out to private events, and he built that coffee shop with us in mind. Mm. So it's actually a huge event center, too. The, the upstairs is magnificent. It's beautiful. It's it's kind of tucked away, though. Now, you say you do, you do these once a week? Are they once a month. Once a month. Once a month. At, that, at the Athena Coffee Shop? No, no. We do them at the Wasatch Theater Company Where's on the gateway. the gateway. Uh, so right between like Wise Guys and the Planetarium on 400 West, mm-hmm. there's a little black box theater that Wasatch Theater Company Oh, yeah, runs. yeah. I've seen something there. Yeah. I saw that uh, play where you had to go in the individual doors. What, yep. was, what was that called? It's called The Box. And, and well, yeah. they, they do have doors, and it's, it's pretty close to the parking garage. Yeah. And ironically, it's also where Laughing Stock, the improv comedy group that I perform weekly with, moved to after the off-Broadway theater got shut down on 300 South and Maine. Hmm. Uh, so we have been so we talk about this, and people can come and see this one, on a monthly basis. Yes, and last Monday of the month, yeah. Last Monday of the month. And is there a website people can find out where, make sure, more, find out more about it? Yeah, if you look up Wasatch, Wasatch Wordsmiths on Facebook, we have a pretty active group there, and we keep our events pretty current. Mm-hmm. So, so, we, so we've been talking about this. Uh, now I think maybe we ought to hear something. Okay. Um, you, I don't know, you can do whatever you want. I remember, uh, specifically, you came to our studio once and did the, you, you did a, a, a spoken word poem that got pretty famous. It went yeah. viral on the internet. and Yeah, To the Boys Who May One Day Date My Daughter was the name of that poem. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that one specifically? I, I do, but I have a follow-up to that that I want to do. Okay. And uh, bec- uh, Because the, the, po- the poem ends, the last two lines of that poem are uh, to the girls who may one day date my daughter. My wife is a better shot than I am because I don't want to repeat the poem, but I want to. But I want to take this trope of the overprotective father and kind of turn it on its ear. And uh, my daughter ended up uh, dating a young woman uh, who was closeted, and that became a real problem for me. So I, I, I sort of just wrote down a poem about it. It, it became a problem. Well. I was going to say it became a problem for you in what way, but maybe the poem will explain that. Yeah, yeah. Let's, okay. let's go ahead and do it. All right. My daughter tells me she wants to start dating, and I shrug. She tells me the name of her girlfriend, and I shrug again. She tells me I need to be careful because her girlfriend's parents don't know that she's gay, and I pause. She tells me it's because her girlfriend's parents are religious, and I want to say, well, so am I, or that shouldn't matter, but I have to admit, while religion doesn't always build the closet door, it does tend to supply the lumber. To plane it straight, after all, Jesus was a carpenter's son knows the many uses of wood, how to hang plum, and I have reached the point of parental dilemma where I need to be honest with this girlfriend's parents, but she just needs to survive. My daughter praying to cross timber on an atheist rosary that when she opens the door, her girlfriend will be where she left her alive and well hidden under a heap of clothes that her parents bought for her, and I live a thousand lifetimes in this decade of Hail Marys where my daughter does not get to go to the prom because her girlfriend has to go with a boy, where my daughter is referred to as an aunt or a special friend, where my daughter is dressed dragged behind someone else's closet door, applying another layer of lacquer and varnish until she blurs a little more every day. So when I meet this girlfriend's parents, 
I smile like a stack of toothpicks, shake their hand to feel for calluses and splinters, but I s choose their daughter's survival over the truth, and I say a prayer, a silent vow that I will take every door in my own home and feed it through a wood chipper so my daughter falls in love with the smell of sawdust. Yeah. There you go. We should... Um, talk about um, uh, the process that goes into that. I mean, it's obvious that it's uh, based on real-life experience. Uh, it, and, and it really comes down to that emotional threshold. I read about my family and religion quite a bit, and for me, there was I, I had to kind of process this with a lot of friends and say, you know, what is this like when you're a father of an openly queer youth and the people that they're dating or interacting with can't be openly mm -hmm. queer because their parents would ostracize them, kick them out, punish them for who they are. You know, a lot of the, the, the youth homeless population in Salt Lake is based on the fact that you've got a lot of kids growing up in religious households that live lifestyles outside of that uh, that, that, that moral norm that their family is, uh, has and, mm -hmm. and end up on the streets. So I don't want to be a danger to these kids, but I, I really feel, you know, uh, my, my daughter went to a, a date, which was to the other parents a friend's sleepover and then uh came back with a hickey and i was like that is super not okay and and she said well why you you always told us that we shouldn't care about what other people think and i said that's not the point you went in without one of those and then you came back with one and though that girl's parents are going to notice that mm -hmm. and you put her in danger like real danger and I started to think about how I don't want my daughter to live closeted. I wanted her to be as open as possible. And that's when I started to like seep into this metaphor about the door and the lumber and, mm -hmm. and going back to Jesus, which is like a default for me. Yeah, well, yeah, and I, I was surprised to hear you talk about um, religion in there and that, that you apparently have some. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know that about you, and it kind of surprises me. Well, Not that I think you're some kind of sinful heathen or anything. Well, but he is. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, I actually almost became a Catholic priest. I was going to go to seminary, and hmm. uh, I took four years of Latin in high school, which uh, gave me a great vocabulary <laughs> and the ability to cast spells. That's wonderful. But ultimately, I decided that that wasn't the path that I wanted to go on. I, I was in the Knights of Columbus. And, wow. And uh, I decided that the Catholic faith was not something that was answering all the things that I needed to. And now I, I actually help organize at an Episcopal church. I sit on their vestry, their board. Catholic my, light, as they yeah, say. Yeah, Catholic light, as you say. Um, yeah. my, my rector is, is gay. Mm. Uh, my son runs the food bank there well, in partnership with the Utah Food Bank. And mm -hmm. so we are very service-oriented, and that really appeals to us. Mm. Um, and, and in fact, I'm actually giving a sermon this Sunday uh, that is a slam poem. I had no idea about this part of your life. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm an open book, but, you know, you have to look at the appendix sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you don't wear, you, you, why wear that on your sleeve, as they say. It's, uh, it's, your, it's your private thing, and you yeah. know, talk I, about it when it's necessary. Although I, I do like to invite my Facebook friends to come and volunteer at our food bank, because we do a restocking every uh, Saturday before the food bank, and the food bank at St. James Episcopal in Midvale uh, is run the second and fourth Sundays of the month. So if you are food insecure or want to help people, who are food insecure, please come and help us out. So let's talk about the aspect of, um, uh, now you're, 
you're obviously um, okay with your daughter's decisions. Um, I assume you had to cl clear this with her before you ever, ever would recite that poem or even commit it to paper. Yeah, actually, that, that was a, a long process, and, and they were the first person to hear that, and uh, we had a long cry over it. And, and then uh, they also uh, showed the poem to the person it was about <laughs> mm. <laughs> that ultimately they, they, they aren't dating anymore. Mm. Uh, and they also loved it, mm. uh, the, 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 uh, the girlfriend. So, uh, but after clearing it with both of them, yeah, that's, I mean, that's when I went because yeah. I didn't want to put this person in danger. You have, to, you know, when I, I, every once in a while I'll, something will happen in my life and I'll say to my daughter, who you know, um, oh, uh, without, before I used to just do it, now I say, do you mind if I talk about this on the radio tomorrow? Right, right. Uh, and usually she'll go, no, you can't. Usually she'll say, I don't see where it's interesting at all. Yeah. You know, there's nothing interesting about it. Why do you want to talk about it? And and I say, well, if you don't see anything interesting, but I do, and that's my job is to right. <laughs> make it interesting. Right, and I really admire that about you because you always keep that certain layer of anonymity and respect. And I've always I've seen that throughout your career, and even in this interview, you've been very careful about not naming your poet neighbor. Actually, yeah, I did mention my wife's first name though, which is kind of I don't do that very often, even. Yeah, and and I I. I respect that because being in a public space you know there's a lot of danger there there's like, to your be. family yeah i mean the uh, the youtube comments alone on the to the boys uh video mm -hmm. you know it's got like four and a half million hits but the the, the poem that precluded yeah. or that that went before this one yeah that, that that and but a lot of the comments are just a mire and and muck of people just being angry um, I had a guy in Belgium challenge me to a fight, and I was like, "Well, can I stay with you?" Um, you know, <laughs> I'll just, come over and stay with you, yeah, and then sure. Um, but uh, when it went on, went on to uh, uh, World Star Hip Hop, I didn't even look at the comments there. That was just trash. But oh. yeah, it's it's trying to keep that level of anonymity, but still share your life in a way that um, is you. Mm -hmm. Is really um, I really like that about you. Uh, so um, uh, have have you? Uh put this poem out there as a sequel to the other one and I, I have and it's interesting the comments are usually like wait a minute isn't this to the boys guy oh irony and I'm like well not really if you look at the last two lines of <laughs> uh, the other poem but it's it's funny to have the amount of positive experiences that I've had with that poem and folks who especially in the queer community really seem to latch onto it as as uh you know, this is complicated. This is something that we don't really talk about. Mm -hmm. And the idea of being a parent of queer children and... Particularly when your last name is parent. Quite. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so... <laughs> um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, it's been really positive. Much more positive than I would have thought, honestly. Uh, so, uh, the, the process of doing that poem... Uh, did, I, I assume you had to just write all that down for... You, you do it from memory. You don't... You don't have to read the text. No, um, and but it's like any script, right? You memorize something enough, and you, you showed that off earlier with with a poem that you didn't even write, mm -hmm. uh, the the Ferlinghetti poem. But it's it's one of those things where you're trying to craft it for memorization too. I I use a lot of performance as a memory tool as mm -hmm, well. Mm -hmm. So when I move, I I I try to use my choreography to tell me, oh yeah, this word's next, and why is my hand like this? Oh yeah, because I'm holding a cup, and the cup is the metaphor, and this is the line. Mm -hmm. So uh, you start to use that whole the whole piece in your whole body as a performance tool um you uh i don't know how many poems you've done in your in your life do you uh as far as written or read 
uh, or, or performed rather. Written? Um, you know, I've, I probably a few dozen. How, are about, they, how are, about that? Are they anywhere? Uh, yes. In fact, I have a collection of poems. It's uh, about a hundred page book uh, that's uh, quite old. It's about 10 years old now. It's called The Noise That Is Not You. And uh, I wrote that for Greenhouse Effect Coffee uh, open mic when people would just leave after they were done. And I'm like, okay, how about you come on in? Uh, there's there's a few other places, but mostly on YouTube. If you search my name, Jesse Parent, uh, I get published on both Button Poetry and Write About No Poetry quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and people will be able to see you perform as well, right? Exactly, yeah. You, you'll get the, the full sonic value of it. Yeah, you can't. You have an imposing voice when you want to use it. I appreciate that. I mean, like right now, you're just kind of being. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm being nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. talking about, uh, but yeah, you can be uh, quite, quite imposing if you want to be. I, no, I appreciate that. Don't don't want any of the patrons to choke on their broccoli heroes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also see me at jesseparent.com. It's J E S S E P A R E N T dot com, and then you can find out a lot more about me and also buy my stuff. Uh, you have other merch? I do. I have a few ebooks mm. that I converted. So a lot of times, poets will do what are called chapter books or chat books. Mm-hmm. And I know you're, you're pretty familiar with those. Mm-hmm. But they end up being 8.5 by 11 folded in half books. And I said, yeah. well, why don't I just turn these into PDFs and sell them for $5 a piece? Sure. And uh, that actually works out pretty well for me. And Which is great because I'm on the, about the fifth printing of To the Noise That Is Not You. And I don't know if I'm going to go out and contact my publisher and ask him to do another run because uh, it's just I don't know it's a bit of a pain selling your own book um, maybe maybe next time I'll go through Amazon or something mm. um, so what about um, somebody like my daughter who doesn't know poetry who doesn't want and, and, and I mean she's a, she's in high school and I think it's just a, like you don't you really don't know anything about poetry although to to her teacher's credit I guess this is an attempt to get my daughter and and her um, her friends to to write to know about poetry by writing it but it seems to me you have to have examples to go by and I don't think she's ever really read any which is surprising because I have it all over the house but you sort of don't think about it right so so how do you do you encur- if people want to write poetry how would you encourage them to do that uh, there, there's a few different resources YouTube has just so much and button poetry does a great job of collecting a lot of it classroom safe poetry so mm. that teachers can use that as a resource and not get in trouble in places like Utah and Idaho and mm-hmm. other places uh, there's also write about now poetry a few other channels that are on YouTube um, Instagram has become a real interesting haven uh, for uh, Instagram poets very short form types of things mm-hmm. uh, that that's really been fascinating actually to, to watch and uh, I think Tumblr's kind of like seen its days yeah. but, but honestly it, it just becomes a matter of starting to watch poems, read a few things that you like, maybe something short and then figuring out what you like and what do you like about that and using that to create your own voice and sometimes copying someone else's voice is the best way to find your own mm-hmm. and then you realize oh wait a minute, I don't really I, I like 90% of what this person does but this 10% I, I'm going to shed that and then all of a sudden you start peeling it away peeling it away and like you have your own voice yeah, I, I told my daughter I, I forget what she said well, what aspect of modern culture she wanted to okay I'll write a poem about this and I forget forget what it was even and, uh, but she said, but I still don't know how to do it. And I said, well, just sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and start writing any words that come into your mind about that topic. Just anything that you could, that just, and she started writing. And she, pretty soon she'd filled up a whole page. And I started re- reading over 
sometimes it was just words and then sometimes it was three or four word phrases mm-hmm. or sentences and some of them were quite poetic that's really you cool know. That's you know and i said look see you just wrote a poem right there you yeah. wrote poetry that's what that is right there yeah yeah and it's uh it, i often refer to myself as a, a monologist that fools people into thinking i do poems because i really i really do write a very narrative structure i like yep. three act structures i like they that you know building up denouement kind of stuff and and uh, I believe what you're doing is exactly right. It's create that narrative and start to flower it up afterwards or look for something maybe by doing an erasure of the thing that you wrote yeah. and saying, like, pick out the, pick out the f- maybe two phrases that you love out of this whole paragraph. And or see how page. you can hang them together. Right. And then use that as the seed yeah. for something else. I love that. That's what yeah. I'm going to steal that as a writing exercise. Yeah, that's, I don't know. It just came to me that that would be a way to a painless way to kind of do it. Just yeah. say, it doesn't matter what you write down. Just start writing down words, which she did. And then to me, that's sort of pain. And I think she kind of got it. And she, you know, I said, now you can just take some of these things and, and hang them together and you'll come up with a poem. That's, that's dope. I love that idea. And it doesn't have to be very long. It doesn't, yeah. you know, poems can be two lines. They can be, well, three lines, you know. Haiku has proved that it, you don't, they don't have to be long. Yeah, and haiku are great because it's a very it's it's like when you're a novelist and you want to write a short story because you know you can finish it. Mm-hmm. A haiku, you can something you can finish, and it, it's also very efficient. If you can learn how to write haiku, then you realize what the efficiency of language looks like, and if you can get an idea, you know it's the same thing with like six word stories. Yeah, uh, th- those like real condensation of ideas, and then all of a sudden you've got something that you can really build on. I'm going to do one more poem, and then I want you to do one more if you can think of one. Okay. Okay. So this one. I don't. I. I mean, I write poetry, but I. Ne- I. But this was not written by me. Um, this I did uh, when I. Uh, my wife and I got married, and uh, it was my wedding vow to her. I didn't write it. Uh, a long dead romantic poet named Lee Hunt did, and the poem is, "Jenny kissed me when we met, rising from the chair she sat in. Time, you thief, who loves to get sweets into your list, put that in." Say I am weary, say that I am sad, say that health and wealth have missed me, say that I am growing old, but add, Jenny kissed me. Perfect poem. Perfect. Damn, it's just perfect. Yeah. When people can make language do that. I I swore you were going to start out with, there once was a man from Nantucket, and (laughs) you were going to be in trouble. Well, I like those, too. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't have to be a limerick. I I would imagine... You know what would be really fun is to like take dirty limericks like the first line and then like you just do a long form poem that is not a limerick after yeah, that. Like, uh, what's a man from Nantucket? <laughs> so lonely, it. such a sad man, a lighthouse <laughs> on the hill. I'm begging you, please do, <laughs> do this. it. Do it. Water crashing. There was around. an old hermit named Dave. The man from Nantucket. That's yeah. all. I'm there was an old hermit named Dave. It was very sad in that cave he lived in. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I can't uh, wait to get to the part where you're uh, yelling at the audience too, like, "Do you fucking know who this man is?" The, the, the sad tale of the man from Nantucket and yep. why he's so lonely. The man from Grass, who had these had a really bad condition with his testicles. They were made out. Of, his balls were made out of brass. It was uh, always my favorite. I, I'm I'm sorry to derail because that was very touching what you just did and no, I it was totally perfect. but like I, I was getting all teary and my defense mechanism is I better say something stupid to <laughs> no. like make sure I don't ball. No, so, it's it's no it was perfect. I was beautiful. See I can't even get through poems anymore, poems that I love reading them aloud. I can't get through them without 
choking up yeah. because I like them so much and they've met, meant so much to me over, over the years of over my life. You know, I can read new poetry and then and every once in a while I'll read something new that go, I'll go, oh, and I'll go back and read it again and I start tearing up, you know. I, I really think that poetry is the closest thing you can do to emotional painting. And I think that's why, is because because it is such a distillation, and that you are using such a, a, an incredible amount of emotion and thought and care. It, it's it conjures up. It's like it's like a sm- it's like smelling something and thinking of your grandmother's house. It's just something that mm-hmm. just triggers in your brain in a way that um, music can do that regular yeah. prose can't. And it's and again, it's also uh, sometimes I, I just I choke up because it's so perfect. It's just my God, how did he think of that or she think of that? I'm, I'm to the, so I'm going to jump in just to say um, I'm a programmer by trade. So I look at a lot of code, right? Yeah, me too. That's, that's yes, what Jesse does. As All well. right. So you get it. And, and it's, I liked what you said about the efficiency of the language in poetry. Mm-hmm. Because as a programmer, I mean, you know that that's the name of the game. You can't have excess code because if you do, it won't run or it won't compile. Mm-hmm. So you've got to, you have to be very purposeful and direct with what you put in that code or it won't run. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so to me, the comparison is you you have a stream of consciousness in your head just saying stuff all day long and when you decide to be very purposeful in your direction of that mm-hmm. stream it really can come and be very mm-hmm. emotionally painting yeah so so, so to, uh, to to go off the programmer speak uh, if, if you are a computer scientist what you're striving for is uh, not a exponential big O notation but a logarithmic and uh, yeah they, if, if anybody gets that yeah no I don't know, me into a you know I, what he's talking I liked about. it and I, w- I was going to tell you I'm working on a logo for um, something completely different but it's it's just the shirt's going to be console.log and it's a Ren and Stimpy parody so anyway I oh, appreciated yeah. your job uh, yeah, thanks. I'm sure you guys it, know it what you're downstairs. sure you guys know what you're talking about <laughs> nerds so, so, so just just as a uh, housekeeping thing can, can, is it okay to swear on this podcast yeah alright mm-hmm. so in that case uh, speaking of emotional poems I guess the poem I'll do is the latest poem that I did about my wife and it was a poem that uh, it was there was a there was a period of time where I just couldn't write because I was just angry, emotional, mm-hmm. and uh, it was uh, it was during when my wife was going through breast cancer, mm. and uh, this was one of the only things I was able to write about that. After my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, I took out a shirt that had been folded for months fallow and dusty in my closet and I pulled out a long chestnut brown hair from a jagged seam. See, my wife has always had long hair. That waist-length librarian straight loomed down her back. She was feast and I famine. Our friends would often say that her long hair was what defined her along with her smile. When my wife found out her tumor was malignant, she called it her asshole which shocked our church friends. She said she wanted her asshole removed, which confused the proctologist, but she embraced pruning as a means of growth, survival. When we had to tell our children that my wife had breast cancer, my eldest son held it together, made it into math. My daughter shattered like a slipped and soapy plate, but the youngest, the eight-year-old, went silent as sleep, eyes wide and wet, and in a voice like Jesus young and in the temple wise, he asked his mother, will you survive? And I broke, an oak giving up to the storm, but my wife, she weathered and replied, I'll try. No promise, just 
an exercise of will behind a wet smile and she fights like only she can takes on chemotherapy in a pink feather boa with a fuck cancer shirt on tells the oncologist to hollow her out to ball her like a melon and she will fight to stay the greenest rind to plane her straight take every lump and soft part of her she will be so much woman without it vows to be bald and breastless but still alive hallelujah still breathing evicting this asshole from her body and I remember all of this as I look at that long brown hair I have excavated from my shirt from a time when cancer was something other people got when assholes were things that simply shit and governed Indiana and I hold that thin strand over the trash can and I let go and I go downstairs to cuddle with my wife on the couch and she manages a smile that is weak but still her still there still the part that always mattered and when we put our bald heads together it kind of looks like a butt <laughs> except there is no asshole yep there you go I think we could just kind of let it go at that <laughs> let's leave it there um, Jesse Parent jesseparent.com jesseparent.com uh, and you can find everything there including stuff about Wasatch uh, Wordsmiths yeah Wasatch Wordsmiths and all of that jesseparent.com and it's parent like as in your mom or your dad your parent yeah exactly Some, we'll have you back sometime we'll talk about whiskey yes so we like we like bourbon a lot both of us and, yeah and uh, Jesse knows a lot about bourbon now I do. I've, uh, in the past couple of years, I've been a student of it. Boy, that cancer episode sure made me a real student of whiskey. Uh, yeah, I'll bet. Uh, that's it for this uh, edition. Thanks again for being here, Jesse. Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure. Uh, it's uh, the Let's Go Eat show. Uh, thank you to Dick Clark for producing the show. He's about to turn over uh, producing duties uh, to another musical-sounding uh, person, Dave Clark, from the Dave Clark Five. That old, no, it's, just, it's the, it's, uh, the senior Clark uh, is going to take over producing duties here coming up. Uh, thanks to Ryan Louder here uh, at the uh, the Daily 222 South Main for always letting us set up and disrupt his business a little bit while we do this. And uh, that's it. I'm Bill Allred. Remember, if you're pouring drinks, always make mine a double. <laughs>